Welcome to planetmullins.com. Hey everybody, Rob Mullins here. So it's March the 16th, 2023. And uh, for those of you in the jazz and R&B worlds, you probably realize that the amazing singer and composer and R&B star Bobby Caldwell has left the building. So if you don't know about Bobby's music, I know that you've heard it. His biggest hit was What You Won't Do For Love. But up 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 what up 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 you know that one I, I won't play it for copyright reasons but um thank god for recording and bobby's music will be with us forever and today on the show i have a special guest bobby caldwell's bass player for pretty much all of bobby's career talking about roberto valley who was an la based uh, bass player and composer who did 31 or 32 years as Bobby's bass player. So um, we didn't know Bobby was going to pass. We knew that he was ill and uh, we recorded this interview a couple of weeks ago, but Roberto does tell some great stories about Bobby meeting him, touring with him, Michael Franks and uh, Al Jarreau. And of course the legendary, smooth jazz producer paul brown so without further ado we're just going to dive right into the interview with roberto valley bass player for bobby caldwell and bobby we're going to miss you bro thanks for everything you left behind here it'll always be with us and we're live in three two and welcome everybody to another episode of the planet mullins podcast Today, I have an amazing bass player, songwriter, composer, and I just found out he has perfect pitch. We're going to talk about that. Say hello to Mr. Roberto Valley, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, man. How's it going, Rob? Yeah, it's going really well. I think it's funny that we just started talking about the perfect pitch thing, and it reminded me of the last gig that we did in Brentwood where the sax player was so out of tune that I don't know how you managed to live through four hours of that. <laughs> I, I, talked, I talked to another bass player who did one one of those gigs when you weren't available he came in and he subbed for you and um he had this just horrible look on his face the whole gig and at the end of the gig after he got home he texted me and he said he said that guy was so bad i had to sleep with my metronome on tonight oh lord yeah yeah <laughs> I try to I try to look at the good, you know, in in everything. Same thing like a like a song. If if I hear, I try to pull out something positive and to say something nice about it, or get something, make it make it a positive thing. Like even if it's like not what I'm gonna do, that right. that person, or, you know, what I'm not gonna do, you know, like like make everything in a perfect world, make everything a learning experience, you know. So, well, that's a great attitude to have, and it's uh, definitely served you well, um, folks. If you don't know who Roberto is, he's—I would say—he's one of the bass players to uh, most big, biggest names in jazz. Uh, that would include George Benson and Bob James, Al Jarreau, Diane Schur, Benoit, Kirk Whalen, Bobby Caldwell, Patty Austin, Arturo Sandoval, Larry Carlton, Marion Meadows, 
Peter White, Paul Brown, Boney James, Rick Braun. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. So, you know, there's a lot of bass players in L.A., but few of them have this kind of list of these famous people. What do you think it is about you that, um, you know, people would prefer to call you before all these other incredible bass players? Because obviously you've worked with just damn near everyone. Mm -hmm. Well, if I don't... If I'd have to put one thing, I, I you know, dumb luck, um, grace, <laughs> grace of God, you know, right place, right time. I mean, I when I I moved to L.A. and I had a couple of uh, pretty nice gigs under my belt, and the the this you know, which was Spyro Gyra, I, oh, wow. I I was a no one, nobody, just living, bopping around the planet Earth in my early mid twenties. And not really caring about about getting hooked up in the established music scene. I was just like living my life, spending part of the year in France, part of the year in Florida, part of the year in New York. And I wound up hearing through friends, whatever, that Spyro was auditioning. And I got that job. And that was great. Um, and then I went on to tour with Michael Franks for a little bit over a year. And he was my audition to... Uh, Bobby Caldwell, wow. and I messaged Bobby to come and hear me play. And as fate would have it, Bobby showed up hungry, looking for a bass player, and I fit the bill. So, again, right place, right time, divine intervention. So I, I, I moved to L.A. to start rehearsing with Bobby, and the guy who was doing front of the house for the Japan tour with Bobby – was was this guy pardon me i'm getting a call i'm just gonna send it to voicemail um, no, that's you, fine actually okay. if you're a little bit closer in i can hear you better so oh, okay um come in about six inches or so okay cool is this a little better it's perfect with your handsomeness oh, oh dude, dude flattery <laughs> will get everything so anyway uh i uh the the guy who was mixing front of the house was this engineer uh, slash producer by the name of Paul Brown. So oh, yeah, Paul. This is before Paul was the producer icon that he became, and so I got to know Paul, and I got to know this kid on sax who joined the band with me, Jim Oppenheim, who later became Boney James. So I I got in that camp at a good time, right. and you know I I owe a lot of my success to my tenure with Bobby and and my relationship with Paul who went on to become like the baby face of smooth jazz producers so right, I sure. a, a majority I would say the majority of the of the of the stuff that I've done with the with the big cats um you know like George Benson and Al Jarreau and Bob James was through Paul uh Dave Cos Summerhorns he put me on these records and and he could have hired anybody that he that he wanted to um and he had some really incredible bass players in his in his stable and i had to fill shoes and i just kind of tucked my head in and just did the best that i could and i won his confidence and uh just earlier this week i did a recording session for him for this phenomenal uh, kid who's a you know certified genius 
he plays everything. Wow. And, and I mean, he, he plays piano almost as good as you. He's 15 years old. I don't mm-hmm. know where he, his mojo from. Then he plays the bass and he sings and he plays guitar, like shreds everything. And, uh, and Paul, you know, put me, you know, put me on, on that, um, with Gordon Campbell, uh, and, um, a J J Gore on guitar, Gordon Campbell on drums. And so it's, it's been a great relationship with Paul and I, and he's also responsible for getting a lot of my songs on a lot of different, you know, records, all my four number one singles that I wrote on for other artists on billboard were through, uh, Paul's production and Paul's grabbing my, my little track and, and polishing it up and, and putting the right artist on it. And it's been great. It's a, um, it's a real different skill, uh, you know, that wearing the producer hat. And I remember in, when I lived in Huntington beach in the nineties, there was a record label called spindle top. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the first label that signed Boney. It and, was. And when I heard the production on that early stuff, I was just thinking, man, whoever this producer is, he's just hitting it out of the park. The guy is great because it was the sounds and the organization, kind of the placement, the arranging, all of those things, plus the engineering. Like Paul just seems to have an incredible sensibility for how to just make the entire thing all fit together, you know? He really, he does, man. And, you know, he has his mentors, um, that one, uh, I think his name is Paul Hirschberg. That was one of the people that showed him the ropes, but he attributes, um, a lot of, a lot of his success. And I remember I was on the tour bus when Paul and Boney were talking about making a record. I remember hearing it, uh, hearing them, uh, excuse me, hearing them talking, talking about, uh, Paul said, Hey, you know, I got these tracks. When we go back to LA, let's, let's, let's cut some and see what happens. And, uh, I, I remember Paul's concept with Jim Boney was, well, what if, what about if Luther Vandross plays sax, you know, what would that be like? And Paul mixed a lot of songs, uh, engineered a lot of songs for Luther and Luther oh. gave Luther gave him a carte blanche in the studio, would fly Paul to New York and just say, what, what can you do to this song to make it, you know, to make it more appealing? How could you make me better? And, and he, he, uh, he just left it in Paul's lap. So, um, I think that that helped shape Paul's sensibilities and sounds and things like that. So did, did you ever, um, you know, cause, uh, I've had, Another um, bass player who's done really well, Vale Johnson. Mm-hmm. I had Vale on the show, and I got to tell you, that was one of the most hilarious oh god like, interviews I've ever done because he was <laughs> he has so <laughs> he has so many stories, and you know we got into the whole thing about Kenny G and his uh, you know his defense was kind of similar in a way conceptually Kenny's concept was a lot like Paul and Boney's concept because Vale said Kenny never wanted to be a jazz artist 
Mm-hmm. And he considered it, you know, instrumental and vocal R&B. Right. And that's what it's always been. It was never supposed to be jazz and how how it ended up being, you know, people saying, oh, Kenny G can't play jazz. But Kenny was never trying to play any jazz. Mm-hmm. I mean, after he left Lorber, he was doing a different thing. And, yeah. um, you know, but this list of people, I mean, what was it like? Well, I want to go back to Bobby because I'm a huge Bobby Caldwell fan. I got to produce only one tune on him, and it was uh, Tell It Like It Is. Yes. He he had recorded that as a guest on a Michael LinkedIn project, and whoever the producer was, I don't know who it was, but they just totally murdered it, did a horrible job, and I ended up getting called by Syndrome to save that uh single which i went to a studio and i mean i don't know if you played on that you probably did no i did not i did not play on that um that was another uh it was a uh a, a drummer slash producer who i know i won't mention his, their names yeah um, good <laughs> but a, a, re- a really great drummer who who put me on a few things but um no i believe that was larry antonino that played on that a great oh great it's larry yeah, yeah, well, I remember going in and just, you know, listening to this stuff and these tracks. It was Ellis Hall was on there and right. uh, a lot of these people. And so they brought me in to kind of save that project. It went into the top 20 on those ancient formats like adults contemporary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, or smooth, smooth AC or AOR album oriented rock. But going back to, uh, Going back to Bobby, I mean, he was always so big in Japan. You guys must have had huge audiences and had a great time traveling over there. Oh, yeah, man. Um, actually, Bobby's tour in 91 was my second tour. I had just gone there four months earlier with Michael Franks, and it was the same promoter, same venues. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, I mean, it wasn't like Budokan huge, but it was like, 3,000, 4,000 seat um, theaters, auditoriums like um, knocking out some plaza, Kozeninkin Hall, places like that. And and um, yeah, I mean, he has a really devoted fan base. And I did his last tour. Uh, I can't believe it's like going to be three years ago or wow. right, before, right before COVID hit. Oh, um, COVID, yeah. In November of 2019. And, and, um, you know, we, it scaled down and we were playing, you know, like the billboard live, which is like one of the premier, I'd say one of the premier jazz clubs in the world. Right. And sure. Sound and, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're monitor, you know, I have my in-ears and it's just like Godhead you play in there. I, I, it just sounded so amazing to play there. The people were so nice. Um, you know, Japan, they, that, you know, they, they have a work ethic and, and a respect for what they're doing that's unparalleled with anybody on the planet, I think, you know. I really have to agree with you on that because I remember, um, I mean, just a quick comparison story. So I was over there with the Crusaders. I was over there with Indugu and Alfonso and Ernie Watts. I was over there with my own own bands. And, um, you know, we would party pretty hard after the gig sometimes because the sponsor guys always had these memberships to these clubs and they'd be like, eat and drink whatever you want. And, you know, you stay up till three o'clock in the morning. And I remember 
one night walking out of this club and not really having any idea where I was, but I, I figured I could just catch a cab and get over to the hotel. And I had my hotel card with me and stuff. And I walk out on the street and on my side of the street are zero cabs. And on the other side of the street are hundreds of cabs and they're all going somewhere. There's some sort of a holiday thing where all the cab drivers are only going to go east all night and nobody's going to go west. Right. I'm out there I'm thinking, man, I don't know exactly how far I am from the hotel or what I'm going to do. And how am I going to get home? And it's already three. And I was staying at the Kale Plaza and I just set out on foot kind of aimlessly. And I walked about a half mile and a person who was a total stranger came up to me and they said, you're obviously American and you obviously are really lost. And right. I said, yes, I am. And they said, well, where are you staying? And I got out my card and I said, oh, Kale Plaza. Okay, I'll <clears throat> I'll take you there. And this guy who didn't have a car walked me all the way to that hotel in the middle of the night on foot for no compensation, just yeah. because that's the kind of stuff that the Japanese do. It's incredible. Yeah. It's the, the exact opposite of my brutally frank, uh, you know, New York brothers and sisters, you know, where I'm from. You know, they you ask them for directions that I don't know. And that's it. You know, they, if they don't know that they, they're going to tell you if they know, they'll tell you real fast. But. I remember many times I'm walking around and I ask somebody for directions. Not only do they point me the way they, they take me by the hand and they deliver me to where I have to go. I I've never seen it. I've been to, you know, a hundred countries, you know, a hundred cities or right. hundreds around the world. I've never seen anything like that, but the, you know, the good people of, of um, Japan. Yeah. Anyway, getting back to Bobby, yeah. it's it really uh, nice to, um, have him as the person who I was playing with moving to LA. It, it helped me establish myself before the cell phone, before um, the internet. Yeah, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody, but I remember my first year when I was in LA and I met Al Giro was at Lake cafe and I guess he had a couple of drinks and I introduced myself when we were talking and he said, well, you know, you play with Bobby, you must be a mother effer, you know? <laughs> so, That's true though. <laughs> yeah. People in the business, uh, you know, they, who, who know Bobby and know his talent, his songwriting and multi-instrumentalist, you know, type thing. Um, you, you know, and having had, uh, you know, the likes of like Jimmy Haslip and in, as his bass player before me mm. and, and all the guys from Cause and Richard Elliott and and um you know you name it uh old Boney James all these guys that came out of his band and beca- became artists on their own it was a it was a nice nice calling card yeah yeah i've uh i've just always been amazed at how many people you know whether they know Bobby's name or not everybody knows that song what you won't do for love and then I'm sure it was the same kind of deal when you went around the world with Al Jarreau and you, he would start out with stuff from, you know, look to the rainbow and people would go nuts. And, you know, out of all these cities that you've been to around the world, do you have a favorite one besides Tokyo? Yeah, there's so many to think about. I mean, you know, I, I when I think about Cape Town, I smile when I think about Sydney. I, you know, I smile. Think 
thinking about like playing in Milano at the La Scala, you know, with Randy Crawford and different festivals I've, I've done at. But as far as, you know, cities, I'd have to, I'd have to say, yeah, I mean, like, I really like, I really dug Sydney and I, I really dug, you know, Cape Town just geographically mm-hmm. and the, you know, the whole melting pot, of, you know, of the, of the people there, but you know, you got t- table mountain and then, you know, you drive down to the tip of the continent and you, you know, you see like the Atlantic ocean on one side and then you see the Indian ocean on the other. Um, and, and you see monkeys with peg penguins, uh, <laughs> That, well, you can that, see that at you can see that at West Hollywood though if you have the money. Ah, that, <laughs> that is very true. Yeah, but to afford this that in natural habitat, you know. So, what are you working on right now that everybody should be looking for in your future? I mean, obviously, you're playing on all the Paul Brown stuff, um, and then you're working on new music of your own, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll throw out a few things. Just recently, a song I wrote uh, uh, that got uh, taken by Najee, and it's called Bounce, and it went to radio. And um, you know, we're hoping that, that that'll do well. That's going to be his next single. Nice. And I just was in the studio with this 15 year old prodigy. His name is Justin Lee Schultz, and he's working on uh, something for. Uh, Shanachi, is that the name of the shop? Shanichi Records. Yeah, yeah. So um, I did something for him, and I have a single that's coming out. Uh, I could, I'll let your your fans and friends know. It's called Woody's Gap, and it's it's kind of like oh, Ramsey Lewis meets um, uh, uh, Steely Dan ish kind of song, like. Uh, and that's why I wanted to, that's why I wanted to, uh, I'm sorry, my, my phone was freaking out. I, okay. I wanted to give it an obscure title, like, you know, what's a cantaloupe Island or, you know, what's a, what's a watermelon man. And so Woody's gap was a parking uh, lot, uh, in the Appalachian <laughs> trail in Georgia. And, and I was, I was walking after some shows with Carol Albert, we, we were walking around and, we we kept on seeing this like Woody's Gap, we, and we we thought it was funny, you know, like what the hell? <laughs> so she said, you know, you should name your 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 single uh, Woody's Gap, and and you know, is like that's perfect. <laughs> Just silly enough, where you know it'll maybe raise an eyebrow, and and people always ask me, well, you know, what what is that? Is that a guy? Is that a is that a play? <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's a nice little up tempo ditty, and you know, I've so had- great, man. Well, before we uh, run out of time here, um, one thing I've you know I see you on Facebook, and I hope we get a chance to play together again soon. It's been yes, now man. since before the pandemic was the last time, but you know, I noticed that you've got a wonderful family, and your kids are fantastic people. And I mean, has it been hard for you? Uh, being on the road so much to do the family thing at the same time, like how do you manage that? Mm. Well, that, that's a good question. You know, um, I, it's it, being on the road. It's it's taken its toll, no doubt. You know, but I've always tried to put like I've I've shelved you know pretty juicy jobs, uh, chose choosing my family over over the work just because. 
I, you know, I'm, I'm even, even in the future, I, I know that I'm not going to be able to go somewhere and I haven't told the person cause it's months down the road, but it's going to be uh, on my birthday. Uh, that's my daughter's graduation. And, you know, somebody said to me, you know, a while back, like Roberto, what would you, how would you feel in five years from now? If you, if you took that gig or if you, if you missed, you know, your, uh, a family, a family function. So mm-hmm. it like that, it makes decisions easier. It's taken its toll, Rob, but at the same time, I've done things with my kids because when I'm home, I could really be home. So I've right. taken it of all like the school trips to the Getty museum or the La Brea tar pits or, you know, whatever, going to um, Disney Hall to see the L.A. Philharmonic. So there's a lot of times when I'm the only I'm the only uh, male, uh, biologically male uh, pan- <laughs> on, a, on, a school tr- on, a, on a school trip, you know, because I can. Uh-huh. So I, I just try to make it, you know, when, you know, when I'm home, I could be really home. I can go to my daughter's track meet and and um you know always try to have you know when i'm home have that sunday uh italian dinner or you know sunday yeah man i i love seeing those pictures of the dinners and stuff and you know everybody a lot of what happens when you know you play gigs with people you really get to know them and on every gig i've ever done with roberto during the breaks he's always on the phone to his family the whole break (laughs) it's like uh uh-oh Daughter number one has got a problem with a flat tire on the 405. Okay, right. let me solve that problem. Okay, so my son is stuck in the airport in Paris and lost his passport. <laughs> okay, let me solve that. <laughs> you're That's you're a good too, dude, man. man. I'm happy to know you, brother. Thank you, man. Uh, Same here, bro. And I, I got to just tell your your friends and fans, you know, every time I've talked with you, I mean, every time I've I've, I've, I've we've played together, from the very, very first time, you know, I've been totally in awe. You know, you are such an amazing uh, pianist. And, and um, you know, I know that you're an incredible writer as well. You graced m- one of the songs that we co-wrote on my last album, Rush Hour. You know, right. to get, all I had to do was just like, hey, play on it. Send it, you know, uh, just do, you know, do what you feel. And you sent it back and it was perfect, you know? And, and so I want to thank you for that. And, and I, I really do look forward to the next time we get to play together. Yeah. And I'm stoked about it too. Well, well, listen, everybody, this has been a real treat for, for both of us. Roberto is obviously going to jump back into a session or cooking a amazing meal or packing a bag or telling Paul Brown, you know, giving him some advice about how he can be a better producer. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, thank you so much for coming on, bro. And I uh, look forward to when we can get together in person again. Thanks so much for having me on your show and a shout out to your, your friends and fans. And yeah, thank you. Thank again. You, All right, folks, that's going to do it for another episode of the planet Mullins podcast. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. <laughs>